Proverbs chapter 8, starting in verse 22, we're going to go uh, 22 to 31. And this week we're going to do something uh, slightly differently. Uh, typically when you do a quote-unquote topical sermon, you have three different texts. So we're going to have one main text that we kind of sort of return to, but we're going to have a, a main text for each point, and I'll, I'll direct you to that, and it will also be on the slides. So our first main text is Proverbs. We've already seen Proverbs take on a personification of a woman. Here, uh, we don't know if, if it's a woman or a man, but pro- wisdom becomes a person. Wisdom speaks as a person and says this in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I brought, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. This is the word of the Lord. Nobody likes being ripped off, right? Um, Everyone likes to get a good product, but we also like to get a good bang for our buck, so to speak. Nobody likes to pay full price. Everyone likes to get a bargain. The problem is, when we try to combine the two, sometimes we get into trouble. When, when we want a Rolex, we don't go to the store, we get it from the guy on the street, and then sometimes our wrists turn green. Or, or when we want a nice car, but we don't go to the dealership, we buy one off a friend or off the street, and we end up with a lemon. Wisdom works the same way. There are a lot of knockoffs in this world, a lot of lookalikes, but there's only one place we can get true wisdom. So the title of the sermon is The Source of Wisdom. I'll, I'll kind of like not bury the lead here. The source of wisdom is God, okay? So in a sense, <laughs> you can go be with God, right? But in another sense, we're going to see how from God, he gives us other sources of wisdom that are not apart from him. They come from him. When we try to take a shortcut by trusting in our own life experiences, we cheat ourselves. We settle for an inferior product that ultimately does more harm than good. And so we have to take the time to acquire wisdom. We have to do the hard work to get wisdom, and we must get it by going straight to the source. And so from the source, you'll see on the slides in just a moment, we observe wisdom from God's creation we obtain wisdom from God through God's community, and we obey wisdom by God's call. 
So first we're going to look at how we observe wisdom from God's creation. And, and here's where we go to our first main text. Proverbs chapter 3, I think well summarizes what we just read in Proverbs 8. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. You want to learn wisdom? Look to creation. Because it is by wisdom that the Lord himself tells us he established everything that exists. Wisdom is like the, the, the source code. It's, the, it's like the unifying principle that, that makes everything work. The water cycle, photosynthesis, gravity, the laws of thermodynamics, they all work because the God of wisdom has made them work. All of it works consistently, orderly, logically. All of it points to a creator. And the wisest of them all, Solomon, knew this. Which is why we are told in 1 Kings chapter 4, we get a description of how, how, how wise he is, right? He was wiser than all other men, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Everyone knew how wise he is. Well, how did he show his wisdom? He spoke of trees. From the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. Not just trees. He also spoke of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. When we think of wisdom, do we often think of someone who can speak of trees or reptiles? But the Lord himself tells us that we can observe wisdom from his creation. If we rightly believe that the source of wisdom is God, then we have to pay attention to what he tells us in Scripture, all of Scripture, including the parts that tell us that we can learn of God and wisdom from creation. Places like Psalm 19, verse 1. You know it. The heavens declare, they speak, they declare the glory of God. The sky above screams of His handiwork. When we look to the sky and the clouds and the stars and the planets, they yell out, There is a God! I think of it, I think of it like this. I, I could have learned physics from speaking with Albert Einstein face-to-face, -face, right? Getting coffee, if I knew German. Uh, I can still learn physics from Albert Einstein, from reading his writings, right? Reading his papers. And, not instead of, and I can also learn it from studying his inventions, studying the things he made. Because he made those things through the laws of physics, using physics. And so it's no great stretch for me to learn wisdom from God through creation because he made it through wisdom. Before kids ever learn to read, they marvel at the stars and the oceans and the animals. And from it, they can learn that God is big and powerful and beautiful. And before we ever trusted in Jesus, we were given creation as a means of common grace. Not only so that we would marvel at it, but that through it, we would see the heart of God. Not just that he's big and powerful, but that he's kind. 
That's why Jesus points us there. Jesus points us to creation as well. After telling his disciples that they should not store up treasures on earth, but they should instead store up treasures in heaven, Jesus points to creation of all places to make his point, to address their underlying need. Matthew chapter 6. Where does he say to look? Look to the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into the barns. But what does our heavenly father, the creator, do? He feeds them. Are you not of more value than birds? Of course you are. And then he continues. So so why are you also anxious about clothing? Consider the flowers. Different part of creation. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. They don't make clothes for themselves. And yet I tell you that the wisest of them all, Solomon, in all of his glory, at the peak of his wisdom and glory and might and reign, couldn't compare. He was not arrayed like a single one of these flowers. Why do you store up treasures on earth, Christian? Why, why do you check your bank account so feverishly? Well, you worry you won't have enough. You worry you won't have enough to eat, to drink, to wear, to support your lifestyle. Sure, you have enough now, but what about in 20 years? 30 years? What about retirement and beyond? And what I want us to see is how Jesus addresses this by pointing us to creation. He doesn't say, stop it, have more faith. Although he's totally right to do so. He says, look at the root cause. The root cause of our distrust, of our anxiety about having enough, is that we believe the same lie Adam and Eve believed. That God is withholding good from his children. We believe deep down, because we still struggle with sin, that God withholds good things from his children. But as I start to observe creation, I learned that if God can feed the birds and the animals who can't fend for themselves, he can certainly feed me. If God can beautifully clothe the flowers and the sunsets and the canyons, he can clothe me. If God can speak into existence everything that ever was, he can handle anything that comes into my life. And as I continually observe these things, I learn a skill. It's the skill of not being anxious, among other things. Because it's not a switch you flip on and off. It's a skill. It has to be learned, practiced, mastered. The lie that God withholds good things from his children, slowly then becomes replaced with the truth, the knowledge, the reality that in Jesus I have every good thing. And that is why Jesus is the source of wisdom. So Christian, I encourage you, observe creation. Observe the creation of your maker, of your father. And as you do, let it remind you of his power, his goodness, his care for his people, and let that knowledge lead you to the wisdom of godly living. Amen? But creation is not the only thing that God has given us. Just as we observe wisdom from God's creation, we also obtain wisdom through God's community, church. 
I have two verses here for us, uh, Proverbs 13 and Proverbs 27. So it's 13 verse 20 that says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And then we jump to Proverbs 27, a little more well-known one. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Two important things to remember as you're traveling through Proverbs. Number one, most of these Proverbs are a father's instruction to his child. And number two, it was written for the covenant community of Israel. So both of those things are communal things. Proverbs itself is wisdom through God's community. Our, our, the reason I bring this up is our American culture is so enthralled with um, heroes and individual achievements that it can be hard for us to appreciate the biblical emphasis on community. Most of our movies and TV shows have one main star, right? Like a hero. These, I, I looked it up literally yesterday. These are the top movies you can see in theaters right now. Spider-Man. What's that about? Spider-Man. The Flash. Little Mermaid, even, has one main character. Mission Impossible. Right? Tom Cruise being a hero. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Disappointment. I mean, uh, sorry, Destiny. <laughs> sorry. Fast and the Furious 10, if you can believe there are 10 movies. And I, I will never understand why they didn't call it Fast 10, Your Seatbelts. But some of you will get that tomorrow. Okay. So these characters have, have other... These movies have other characters in them, right? Some of them even have, like, teams. But the emphasis is on one person, one guy, one girl, one hero, right? And it's foolish for us to think that we are completely unaffected by this aspect of our culture. It's not difficult for us to think of our walk with Christ in these terms as sort of a hero quest. I read scripture on my own. I've got to pray on my own. I've got to find the strength within myself to go through hard times on my own and not be a burden to other people. I have to strive for holiness individually. I have to work through depression and struggles with addiction by myself. I have to take on my problems single-handedly. But again, wisdom, God, instructs us differently in Scripture, even as it pertains to reading Scripture. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. I love this passage. It, it's so not well known, but it's so beautiful. In, in speaking of Scripture and the, the law, the, the Word of God, we read that the Levites helped the people to understand the law. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. So they read it clearly. And yet they also gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. They didn't just read it and say, well, Scripture's clear, figure it out. They gave the sense. They explained it so that they made sure wisdom was gained. The Old Testament people of God didn't have quiet times, though they would love that we do. They would have loved to have had a personal copy of God's Word on their phone. But they just did it differently. 
They heard God's word together, read aloud, and then they had it explained to them so that they made sure they understood. In short, they obtained wisdom through God's community. When, when an officer or a firefighter or any number of professions go through training, they're, they're instructed in a certain way of doing things, right? We've, we, no matter our profession, we had instruction prior to taking it on. An officer is told to memorize the safety patrol. A med student learns about anatomy and biology. But it's when they actually get in the field with other professionals that they start to obtain some wisdom. They start to see how others are actually applying the manual, the instruction. They learn what to do and not to do, not just from their instruction, their professors, not just from their manual, but also from the community. If you enter a bad precinct, a bad hospital, a bad school, you're going to learn bad habits. If you receive wise instruction from the community and apply it, you yourself become wise. Iron, iron begins to sharpen iron. Likewise, in the same way, a wise community of God does not replace or add to the scriptures. It faithfully applies the instruction and principles in real world situations. We model what it's like to be Christian parents, employees, students. We live out what it looks like to love your neighbor practically in 2023 in Stewart, Florida, in the United States. Practically. What does it look like? Because I, I'm not going to find a single scripture that says, this is what you do when your neighbor yells at you at 11 o'clock at night. There's principles, but how do I live that out? Well, I read scripture. Absolutely. I pray. Absolutely. And, not but, and I obtain wisdom from my community. Hey, how have you handled this before? Okay, you've never handled this before, but what do you think I should do? We gain wisdom. We obtain wisdom from the community. And the reality is that before children ever read a marriage or parenting book, they obtain wisdom on what it looks like to be a spouse or a parent from their community. From the little community we call a family, and from the big community we call the church. Most people don't run to scripture to find wisdom for a certain situation. They either observe forgiveness and grace and mercy and copy that, or they observe grudges and pettiness and quarreling. Most often it's a mixture of the two. And so we have a responsibility, brothers and sisters, to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. Because just as creation points to God, so the church points to its head its source, Jesus Christ. What are we pointing people to? This is, this is the point that James makes about wisdom in James chapter 3. It's a longer passage, but stick with me because it's, it's important. He asks the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, not just tell. You keep going. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom 
that comes down from above. And let these words sink in. Let the gravity of these words sink in. It's not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Let, let that hurt for a second. It's okay. Let, let, let that hurt. When we are engaged in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and all sorts of other sins, we are not living out the gospel. We are living out earthly, unspiritual, and demonic practices. Why? Because where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be the opposite of wisdom, the opposite of godly living, disorder, and every vile practice. Okay. I do because I love you. I hope that hurt a little bit. Now here's, here's the balm. Here's the sweetness of the gospel. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Brothers and sisters, this is why we need wisdom straight from the source. Because we don't just need grace and mercy for when we mess up, though we do. We also need wisdom to actually do what God commands us to do. To demonstrate that in Jesus, to all the watching world, that in Jesus there is transforming power to leave selfish ambition and seek righteousness. And so, brothers and sisters, let us sharpen one another. Let us walk in peace, gentleness, mercy, sincerity. Let us encourage one another to do the same. Why? Because in Jesus we have every good gift. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the reason we are a church. He is my power, my strength, not just my forgiveness, though praise God he is, not just mercy for when I mess up, though thank God I have that, but he is the power of God to actually obey and live a life of wisdom. Now, how does that, how does that actually play out? How do we actually do this? We observe wisdom from God's creation. I see it with my eyes. We obtain wisdom through life experiences, through God's community, communicating and living out the gospel, sure. But how do I live wisely when foolishness is so tempting and rampant? How do I go against what my body and my heart so desire, which is sin and foolishness? Because we also obey wisdom by God's call. Uh, look now at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The Father says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. If we think of wisdom as knowledge, it seems strange to say that we obey wisdom, right? How do you, how do you obey knowledge? But if wisdom is truly skill in the art of godly living, then we must obey wisdom just as we are called to obey the gospel. Again, that might seem like a strange phrase to you. 
we, we rightly think of the gospel as the good news that Jesus saved his people from their sins. And of course that's true, praise God. But how do we obey Jesus dying on the cross for us? I certainly don't know. But if the gospel is more than that, then these next passages make a lot of sense. I have three passages for you. Uh, Romans chapter 10 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul is speaking of those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Yes, the gospel is good news for those who believe it and obey it. The same thing goes with wisdom. Length of days and years of life will be added to you if you don't forget the teaching of wisdom and keep its commandments. Or as a, as a more famous proverb puts it just a few verses later, Proverbs chapter 3. He will make straight your paths. Right? No, you can put it up. If... You trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, acknowledging him in all your ways. Then he will make your straight your paths. Brothers and sisters, the, the, the Christian life is like eating. There, there are lots of steps that lead up to eating, but it's the final ingestion that actually makes it eating. In eating, we put food in our mouth. We taste it. We chew it. We might even enjoy it. But it's not eating if you then spit it out. It's only eating if you swallow, if you ingest the food into your stomach and allow your body to harvest the nutrients. We can taste the gospel every Sunday morning faithfully. We can chew it at Bible studies as we listen to podcasts during our quiet times. We can even enjoy it at times. But until we actually trust in the Lord with all our heart, until we actually let our hearts keep his commandments, until we actually obey the gospel, we're acting like fools who go to a wonderful restaurant, order delicious food, pay for the food, and then spit out the food. That's a silly picture, right? Now, if you're still with me, you know you're in trouble. I am. Because even in my best moments, with creation screaming the glory of God and a helpful, encouraging community urging me to follow Christ, I am still not obeying all that the gospel calls me to. And I don't think I'm the only one, judging by the look on your faces. So we need to remind ourselves, not just that we need to obey wisdom, but that we obey wisdom by God's call. It's not just what we need to do, but how we do it. And herein lies the beauty of what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul does this so well all throughout his letters. My favorite spot is Philippians chapter 2. He perfectly describes the call between, the relationship between God's call and our obedience. He writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Don't just enjoy your salvation. Don't just in, acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross. Obey the gospel. 
Work out your own salvation. Do what you were saved to do. It makes no sense if your arm is broken, the doctor heals it, and then you never use it. What did he heal it for? Right? Work out your own salvation. Do it. But lest we turn this into righteousness by works, lest we think that we ever earn the salvation of God by then working it out, lest we adopt a half gospel, which is no gospel at all, where God starts our salvation, but we finish it. He says in the very next breath, for it is God who works in you, both to will, to desire, and to actually do it, to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. How can I do that? God works in you. The gospel. And the gospel is not one of those over the other. That's what we have to understand. It's not, okay, well, here are the demands, work out your salvation, and then here's the gospel, God works in you. No, it's both. It's because God works in you, you have to work. That's gospel. And so in reading wisdom literature like Proverbs, it's so easy to get wrapped up in what you need to do. But never forget the good news that enables you to obey wisdom, child of God. It is God working in you. It's having the mind of Jesus, which is yours in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, reminding you, empowering you. In other words, we obey wisdom by God's call. And so, Christian, in your own life and as you make disciples of others, remember that you and they can only obey through God's call. Fathers, mothers, your child's greatest need is not more organization or discipline. In order for them to obey, they need the wisdom that comes from God. So what are we pointing them to? Are we pointing them to behavior management? Are we pointing them to a lesser hope? than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the source of wisdom. No matter your age or stage, God has placed people in your life. And their greatest need is not financial assistance or fitness tips or even life advice. What they really need is true wisdom. The wisdom that communicates to them that they are in desperate need of a Savior. And so... Through God's call, by the salvation we have in Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us exhort one another to live lives of wisdom, loving what is true and good and right. Let us lay aside our pride and humbly recognize our need of a Savior, and let us point others to our glorious Redeemer. Because as we're about to sing in a moment, my gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. In the name of Jesus, let us leave here with a mission to live in wisdom so that we may point others to the source of wisdom. Amen. Join me as we pray. Thank you, Lord, for the good news. Thank you that you love us so much that you give us everything we need in Jesus. 
to not just enjoy salvation, but to live it out. To not just, to not only await a fuller salvation, but to enjoy the first fruits of a salvation here and now. Thank you for that hope that we have. I pray that we would be reminded of the true source of wisdom that it can be gained in no other place. And because of that, that we would point the people in our lives, including our own hearts, to Jesus and Jesus alone and not any lesser wisdom. And we pray this all in his name.